and away we go. So anyway, we're going to start off with John 13. It's been a couple of weeks, so it's hard to go back and remember what chapter 12 was about, and I didn't read it. So, all right, here we go. So I'm going to kind of just dissect it as I go and give you some of my opinions and so-called revelations of what I got uh, in the scripture. And some of it, you know, when you're thinking, when you're reading this, again, John is selective. He's being very selective about what he's saying because there's deep symbolic meaning in the things that are going on. And there are, you know, Jesus is doing things physically that represent things spiritually, just like communion is a physical thing that represents something spiritual. Baptism is the same way. It's something that's, it's something we can see and do to experience, to, to, to know the invisible kingdom of what's really happened to us. And it's no different here. So John's selecting words. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Again, I said, it's kind of like revelations. In a sense, he wrote revelations, but he's, he's looking back and he's selecting. He's not putting every miracle in here. He's putting certain miracles into. To, so you would come to know, just like in John 1, that you would know the fellowship that you have with the Father and the Son. You would know where Jesus came from. In, in the beginning was the Word. That's his origin. That's your origin, by the way. You share God. You share Christ's origin. You came from above. That's John 3. Anyway, I love this. Look at just Look here in the faith. Look at the faith here. Now, Jesus, having known before the Feast of Passover that this was his hour. Now, think about it. Faith is seeing in reverse. He knows. He's Remember, God is pleased with faith, and Jesus is walking in faith. Because that's what God's pleased with. That's what God does. So he's looking back from the future. He knows that this is his hour. He's not even questioning it. He knows. The hour hasn't come. That's faith, isn't it? But he knows. And what does he know? He knew well that he would step out of this world into the Father's embrace. Same thing is going to happen to us. We're in the Father's embrace now. We're face-to-face with the invisible world. And we're connecting, actually, in our spirit and in our mind. That's why we have the mind of Christ. So we can think like God, see like God, and and walk out the, the Christian life or walk out, really, say the Christian life, how about the Jesus life, right? I love this. He drew much love, energy from his own who would remain still in the world after his departure. And think about that. He draws much love from you. He loved them and he loves you completely. Remember Hebrews 12 too, he says, I think it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, ignoring all the sh- all this, uh, the shame, right? Despising, ignoring the shame. You know, I mean, think of the shame that, you, you know, we're going to read about it in the future chapters. Think about the shame, but he knew it's the joy. And who's the joy? You and I are the joy. And here he drives much love energy. I'm sure it just spills out with joy, right? It was supper time. That's the time. And the devil or diabolos, which means dia because of the falling away, already had, the heart of Judas Iscariot in sync with his own, which was to betray Jesus. Okay, so think about that. You know, it reminds me of the words of the Greek words, Hades, ha Hades, without seeing, but the interesting words, soon Hades, joint seeing or a joint fusion of thought with God's thought. And here, Judas is having a joint fusion of thought with the devil or the diabolo thinking, the falling away, the adopt. The Adamic thinking, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
I'm just going to keep going. You can, and hopefully you had time to read some of the commentary. I will look at some of it, but I like to, for time's sake, like to just kind of keep on going here. Jesus was, I love this, fully aware, again, faith, of the fact that his father has given all things into his hands. He's given all things into his hands, which is interesting. In Romans 8, chapter, he says, we are what? We are children. The Holy Spirit tells us, that, testifies with our spirit that we're children, and we're co-what? Inheritors. Jesus has... Everything belongs to Jesus, and we co-inherit everything. There's nothing left outside. So that's, that's why I can't go with the reward thing, because I have it all. I have joint seating. I have everything. Everything I need. The whole world belongs to Jesus, and I belong to Jesus. I'm in one with Jesus, and I've inherited all things with him. Have inherited, not will inherit. And why don't I have everything? Because right now I don't need everything. It's pretty hard to fill my house with everything. It wouldn't fit. All right. He knew he came from God and his destiny was returned face to face with God. Now look at, so anyway, he knew that his time was near. Okay. He drew energy from the, love energy from the people who would remain. He knew that Judas was in sync with the devil in his mindset and would betray him. He knew that he was from the father and he was going back to the father. With that in mind, he got up from the table. I love this, took off his outer garment, which means he has an undergarment, and wrapped a towel around him. Now I assume it was around his waist, could have been around his neck. I don't know. So he gets up with this in mind. John is showing, painting a picture for us. He has this in mind, so he gets up, and he's, now think about it, he says he's drawn love energy from his, these people around him, including Judas, by the way. So he got up from the table and took off his outer garments and wrapped a towel around him, he then poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples and dried them with a towel around his waist. All right. We kind of looked up a little bit of the feet washing. I'm just going to stop there and read it. So in the Orient, in, the, in, in the, that part of the world, they all wore sandals. And they went barefoot into houses. And when they went into the house, they had frequent feet washing. This is, uh, let's see. Hence, among the Israelites, it was the first duty of the host to give the guest water for the washing of his feet. To omit this sign was a mark of unfriendliness. So if they didn't wash your feet, they were unfriendly. It was customary to wash the feet before meals and before going to bed. And uh, let's see here. There was no law that told the people they had to wash feet, but there was law for the priests to wash feet to go into the tabernacle in the sanctuary. So it's very interesting. So we're just going to go on here for a second because I... I think this is pretty interesting. So then he pours water into a basin, began to wash the feet of his disciples and dried them with a towel around his waist, which is interesting to me because think how humbling that is to be the recipient of a foot washing from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We don't think like that. And, you know, and I, I've heard so many teachings, you know, he's, he's talking about humility and servanthood, which is part of it, but I... I participated in many feet washings in my past, and I was so full of pride when I was doing it. This makes me laugh. Yeah, washing feet, you should. You know, you know, it's funny how we think when we do this stuff. But now think about that. So here is their leader and Lord, who they believe is Messiah, who they at that time believed he's going to be the king, is washing their feet. You would never hear such a thing. And then so He's washing all their feet, but John points out one interaction, not the rest of them, and it's with Peter. When he came to Simon Peter, he protested, saying, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? 
Now you got to give Peter credit because he had heart because he, he had passion. I mean, it was always misdirected, but he, he had a lot of passion. Jesus answered, you might not appreciate it now, but afterwards you will understand the significance of what I am doing. Explanation point. You will understand the significance of what I'm doing. There's in other words, there's significance to a foot washing. And I don't think it's an actual foot washing. It's spiritual. It's symbolism. It's something we can see to show us a spiritual principle. Power to treat one another. Right? Correct? Jesus answered you. Okay. Peter refused and said, I will not allow you to wash my feet. I will not allow you to wash my feet. That's pretty hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> Got to give him credit. And Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, then you have no what participation with me. And think about that. You, if I do not wash your feet, I, you have no participation with me. No participation in what I'm doing and who I am. Then Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, if I'm participating with you and I'm all in. But Jesus answered, he that has already taken a bath only needs to wash his feet, for he is completely clean. And you are already clean, yet not every one of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is why he said, you are not all equally clean. And then the commentary says, not all of you have given the word the same opportunity to wash your minds, to have metanoia, a change of thinking. According to the custom, the guest was supposed to bathe before coming to a feast, and so only the feet had to be washed on moving on removing the sandals. So here is something that is physical, a tradition, something very practical that's going on. But the, the wild thing here is the Lord and master of the house, it's not his house, but he's Lord and master, is washing the feet of his disciples, his pupils. Now, a couple of things that I was thinking about, because do I have all the answers to this? Because I like Pam and I have talked about, if we already, we're just a little past halfway through John, 21 chapters. If we started over again, we see 20 new things. I mean, because that's the word. It keeps revealing itself. And the word revelation is unveiling. It keeps unveiling itself. But a couple of things, when I was reading this, in my mind, the scripture popped up. In John, the 15th chapter, Jesus, you know, the, uh, uh, to, you know, abide in me, abide in the vine. He, he goes on to say, you're clean because of the word that i was spoken to you you're clean because of the word then in the 10th chapter it says how lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news now in the last chapter jesus is the last chapter of the chapter before jesus feet are being anointed by who by mary for burial right she's anointing them for his burial and if you ask me he's anointing them for ministry, one. Two, he says, you need to do it to one another. And, and the thought that occurred to me is the one part of the body symbolically that continues to touch the earth is our feet. That continues to get sullied. And so when we love one another and we continue to build one another up in the word. And I always think about when you have a good fellowship, like sometimes we have a meeting and wow, just the Holy Spirit just walks through the place and you're so high when you leave. But then, yeah, by the end of the next week you're the worries of the world and 
all the things you get beat up and you need your feet washed again with the water of the word from one another. That's just a couple of things. And yes, servanthood, love, because he goes on in the end of the chapter, love one another, right? And love one another. We'll just get to it there. Oh, we'll just keep on going. But this is just a couple of thoughts. And I can't wait to hear some of your thoughts in the, the small groups because I'm sure you'll blow me away as you usually do with your great thinking. And, you know, just as a note, if you get something really great about that, please post it on the, on the Facebook page so everybody else can see it because only a small group of people get to see it. So when, he had done, uh, so when he was done, he put his robe back on again and reclined at the table and asked them, do you understand what I just did? And the answer equivocally is no. Just like they never understood what he did. Remember in John the 16th chapter, he says, I have many things to tell you now. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. You can't, you can't comprehend it. Remember when the Holy Spirit came, I mean, these same disciples turned into little Christ running around the earth, doing the same thing that Jesus did. And it's actually what we're supposed to be doing is that same spirit lives in us, the same mind lives in us, and we're, we have the same ministry. You, you call me instructor or teacher and Lord, and it's good for I am. If I, your teacher and Lord, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, humble yourself to one another, love one another, build up one another, take care of one another. For I have demonstrated an example for you to mirror. For I want you to know most certainly that the servant is not greater than his Lord. I'm sure they understood that. And the one who is sent is not greater than the one who sent him. To know these things is to find, I love this. To know these things is to find your joy in expressing them in your lifestyle. Now think about it. Joy in expressing an outward expression. Interesting. I was listening to a news program when I was exercising today. And I, I can't remember. I wasn't really paying that close attention because I didn't think I was going to talk about it today. But there's a university that did a study that people that do random acts of kindness are more happy than other people. Isn't that funny? Yeah. People that do random acts of kindness for others are more joyful and more happy. So he, he says here, to know these things is to find your joy. Anybody like joy? I love joy. In expressing them, a joy in an expression in our lifestyle. He says, I'm not talking about, he says, then he says, I'm not talking about all of you. I've chosen you and that one of you, I love this, will kick me like a horse. I have been kicked by a horse. That hurts. <laughs> Jesse can tell you about getting kicked by a horse too sometimes. But just as this is written, even my trusted friend who ate bread with me has turned his heels against me. Now, in the commentary, he's going to say why he chose kick like a horse. In Greek literature, the metaphor is one is of one administering a kick. Thus, Plutarch, uh, describing the robber Skiron, who was accustomed to, out of insolence and wantonness, to stretch forth his feet to strangers commanding them to wash them, and then, when they did, with a kick to send them down the rock into the sea. That's kind of interesting. Verse 19, I'm telling you this to your advantage, so when it happens, you may be persuaded about me. Now, think about that. Jesus is, he, he, he knows. The Holy Spirit, I mean, probably knew from the beginning. I don't know, because I'm not Jesus, but he's faith. He's seen what's going to happen. He's saying, this is what's going to happen so that you will know and you believe. I also assure you that whoever can identify with your mission, what's a mission? It's a charge, a duty. We're doing something. We're going out. If they can identify with you and who you are, what you're doing, they identify with me. And if they identify with me, they identify 
with the one who sent me, which is the Father. Having said this, Jesus was again deeply disturbed in spirit. I like in the last chapter, he says his soul is disturbed. And here it says spirit's disturbed. And said, I'm telling you that none, that now that one of you, excuse me, I'm telling you now that one of you is about to betray me. I love this. The disciples were confused, looking at one another and wondering, who is this person that could betray, possibly betray, betray, possibly be? In other words, it's not me. So who could it be? They're all, I'm sure they're all going, not me. I mean, the fact that they're wondering who meant they didn't think it was them. One of the disciples was leaning against the bosom of Jesus. Now think about that. That means he had his head on the chest of Jesus, which is pretty intimate, isn't it? Cuddle up in his love. He had his head on the chest of Jesus, cuddled up in his love. Simon Peter prompted him to ask Jesus who it was. So he did. Jesus, who is it? Jesus replied, it is the one I'll give the morsel of bread to, to once I have dipped into the broth. He then dipped the morsel and handed it to Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son. Wrapped up in the morsel was the opportunity for Satan or accuser to now fully engage, fully engage the mind of Judas. Then Jesus said to Judas, do what you got to do and get it over with and done with. And I think about the bread to me, you know, it makes me think of unleavened bread when you have, you know, pure leaven, it's a cracker and you add yeast to it, it's unleavened now. So you take a piece of bread, perfection of the word, and you dip it in something. It's no longer, it's symbolism that it doesn't taste the same. It doesn't look the same. So it's kind of like uh, false teaching in my, in my opinion, but I mean, it's symbolism. He's eating of the wrong thing, but it seems like it's coming from God. It reminds me of the scripture, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Do this, that in your name? And he says, I never knew you back in uh, uh, Matthew seven, which to me doesn't mean he didn't know him. He knows everybody, but it means like your kid does something like they're acting so weird. You go, huh, I don't even know you. Who are you? In other words, you're not acting like the real you. Because it's all a gift anyway. It's not a reward. Even now, the other disciples did not suspect Judas in the least. In the important commentary here, amazing how Jesus never treated Judas any differently, even though he knew that he was stealing the money from them. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, how many of us would allow the thief, and we knew he's a thief, to take care of the money? None of us would do that. Jesus didn't care. Of course, Jesus is the owner and the inheritor of all things anyway. Anything he needs. He has it. That's why he doesn't have to store things up because it all belongs to him anyway. So uh, some thought that since Judas was a treasure, Jesus asked him to go and buy the necessities for the feast or perhaps go and give some money to the poor. So in other words, Jesus knew what was going on. Judas had a clue what was going on, but the rest of the disciples thought something was different. With that, Judas left immediately and it was night. I love this, 13 or 31. Then with Judas gone, Jesus says, this seals the glorification of the Son of Man. This seals the glorification. The praise, honor, and distinction. Remember, doxa, the opinion of God. So the real Son, so God can really be known. As well as God's glorification in him. The renown, the praise, the distinction of who God is. Is it, uh, back in Isaiah 55, it says, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. The new covenant are his thoughts and the new covenant is his ways and the word that came down from earth and didn't didn't return void without returning was was the word which is christ that's the scripture there christ is the word he returned said that word will not return 
void without accomplishing what was sent to accomplish. And, but here he says he was no, going back face to face with the father. He's going to return, but he was going to accomplish. And here's, he's going to accomplish the glorification of the father and the son. And I'll always go back to this. If God was interested in, instead of a wrath, because wrath means passion. How about revenge? The perfect time would have been to get revenge is when he was raised from the dead. I mean, let's face it. What a, wouldn't that be a great horror movie? I mean, all of a sudden, somebody comes back to life, and now I'm going to pay everybody that just did this to me. That's when he should have done it if he's going to do some wrath or not passion. I'm going to say revenge. It would have been when he raised from the dead. Good time to get Caiaphas, good time to get Ananias or not, or Annas and all those Pharisees, right? And even like spank the disciples for, for uh, abandoning him. But it, he's love. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In other words, let the real Father, the real God, be seen now. In this joint glorification of the Father and the Son, God is glorified in himself. And I love this. In God glorifying you and me in himself, recognizing, honoring, his personal glory is not diminished at all, but fully endorsed. This is happening immediately and seamlessly. Little children, I'm with you for a little, a very little while. Then you will seek me. But as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot join me. So now I say to you. And of course, the next chapter is I go prepare a place for you, right? Rolls right into there beautifully. Because I give you a new commandment. Keep on condemning one another and judging one another just as I have judged and condemned you. Sometimes it's fun to read it wrong, isn't it? I'll say it again. I give you a new commandment. Keep on loving one another just as I have loved you. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Be patient with one another. Love is uh, not jealous, which means it trusts one another. It's not becoming. It believes the best to everybody. It sees by faith who you really are, regardless of the outward circumstances. My love for you is the source of your love for one another. And there's one John 4, 19, where it says, you know, I was, people come to my Bible study and they go somewhere and they, ah, I was told that I really need to love Jesus more. And I would say, well, how are you going to do that? Uh, you know, some people have all kinds of little theories or steps, but the scripture says we love him because he what? first loved us. I tell people, if you want to love Jesus more, Get in there and understand how much he loves you and you'll love him more. Does that make sense? The more you understand his love for you and how he sees you will reciprocate the more love for him. So my love for you is the source of your love for one another. The more you know him and what he believes to be true about you and how forgiven you are, how holy or how righteous you are, how included, how in union you are, how face-to-face you are with the Father, you'll start to see that for other people, effortlessly. In this environment of love for one another, everyone will come to know your discipleship onto me. In other words, that is how people see us as disciples, his followers. I think it was Gandhi, I've heard, you know, I, you know, this is what I've heard, I've never really looked it up, said, I really admire the man Jesus, but his followers are nothing like him. It's pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, there used to be songs that say, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Not by our condemnation, not by our politics, by our love. 
for one another. Wow, these people re really love me. Wow, these people really love one another. I want to be rooted in that. Love is powerful. It's more powerful than hate. It's more powerful than condemnation. It's, it, I mean, that's, I mean, when I had no idea who Jesus was, I found out he loved me, my faults and all. It blew my mind and my life completely radically changed. It's like, wow, I believe the message. It's like uh, Hebrews 4.12 message. The smoke in a crisis, the most dynamic and powerful influence were in us. And that, that, that message changed my life and it changes other lives. And people experience that love. But right now we got such a divide of people condemning everybody instead of just loving one another. We got to hopefully get away from that and start trusting God instead of our own willpower. Anyway, I'll get up. Preaching within a preaching. Anyway, in this event of your love for one another, everyone will come to know your discipleship unto me. That's how they will know. I think we should really kind of think about that. I'm going to say it again. In this environment of your love for one another, not your fighting and bickering, everyone will come to know your discipleship unto me. They will know. Wow. They know Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? Thought-provoking. And maybe we're all having a metanoia moment. Simon Peter then asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm about to go, you are not able to accompany me right now, but you will afterwards. And of course, he, the commentary says, uh, John 14, 1, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. So 37, Peter said, Lord, but Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I will give my life for you. And Jesus said, will you give your life for me? I say to you now, most certainly, will you have uh, contradicted me three times before the, the cock crows? We all know that scripture. It's interesting here to me, which is a scripture that pops in my head when I read this, is Romans, the seventh chapter. It says, when we're eating of the law, it says, the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I don't want to do, I do. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. And that's the tree he was eating. That's what made him say when he first met the Lord after the big catch of fish, he said, Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. Right? <laughs> Whoa! Get away from me. Now think about that. The very thing I, it says that, it says, Paul says, you know, before the commandment came, I was doing fine, and the commandment said you should not covet, and I started coveting. It said the sin principles activated, distortion of who I am started activating me, and the very thing I wanted to do, I couldn't do, and the very thing I didn't want to do, I started to do. And I don't know, we've all probably experienced that. And Paul is not talking in the seventh chapter, his after Christ uh, revelation and conversion. It was, he's going back to his legalistic Jewish mindset before the conversion. Anyway, I think Peter, you know, Peter did a lot of things and he had a good heart, but he ended up uh, failing. And, and I always like the, I don't know, the end of Mark, he says, he says, go tell, go tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen. Because he knew probably Peter with the biggest mouth felt the worst. Anyway, the end. <laughs>